We're starting a brand new series uh, that's going to take us through the summer uh, that we're simply calling Disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, And every week we're going to have a singular sort of command word or verb that goes with it. Uh, So disciples go, disciples love, disciples gather. Uh, And hopefully it will be sort of uh, some basic stuff, but also sort of a reminder of the kinds of things that we're called to do uh, and to be as we seek to follow Jesus uh, in this world uh, of exile that we live in. Uh, but also as his ambassadors to the world at large. Uh, So this morning, uh, our subject matter is the word go. Disciples go. The core of what it means to be a disciple is that you go. So when I grew up, I've told you this story several times, one of my greatest fears growing up is that God would ask me to be a a foreign missionary. Uh, And I was terrified of it. And this is just, I'm just being absolutely honest with you. There were times that I would stay up at night fearful of what God might ask me to do. Uh, and I didn't even understand what God called you to any of this stuff. But I just knew this because the church I grew up in was very much involved in supporting foreign missionaries around the world. So we'd have huge missions conferences. They had a huge map out in the, in the lobby area uh, with like a million little pins in it of all the people they were supporting. Uh, and mission, this was missions. And this church was involved with missions, and it was a beautiful thing. Uh, I even uh, was able to develop a relationship with uh, a missionary who uh, was serving in the South American country of Suriname, Uh, and so I would write him letters, and uh, I don't don't know how you pronounce it, but my letters always went to Paramaribo, Zwid, Suriname, to the MacArthur serving there. So if I butchered that, that world capital, I apologize. I don't know anyone else who maybe even knows that the country Suriname exists. I would never probably would have, would have known of it except connecting with this. And so I grew up, as probably many of you did, understanding that missions was this idea of what a select couple of people did who God asked a lot of, and they were like some of the most holy people ever because they were obedient even to the place of going to foreign lands and sacrificing the easy sort of American Western life to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so then the way the church participates in missions is we give money to these people so they can do what God called them to do. Let me make a disclaimer. I think all of that is great, right? So what I'm about to say, don't hear me say something negative about foreign missions. I think it is fantastic you know that everything you give to our church in the box in the back, uh, 10% of it goes to support foreign missions around the world, largely through the Great Commission Fund. Uh, we got to hear last week from the Dresslers, uh, who are serving in Palestine, who we're uh, partnering with and supporting. Uh, and so you know that this is important to us. But can I just suggest to you that the modern church really made a grievous error when it interpreted missions solely as something people do who are called to foreign lands. And that's classic of the modern world, because we love to label and classify and particularize every single thing, right? So you're the missionary, and I'm the layperson, and I'll pray for you, and maybe give you money, you know? (laughs) And you're really spiritual, and I'm just, I can never be like you, right? And We live in this world, and the truth of the matter, church, is that Really, we should forget about missions 
And my suggestion to you, and I've been suggesting this to anyone who would listen to me for a long time, is that we should really replace it with the word mission. We should get rid of missions and replace it with mission. Because mission really is something that involves all of us, not just in in a sort of remote participatory reality where we'll pray or give money, but not be really directly involved. God's really asked something much bigger of us, and to be a disciple, I think, means that we sort of tease out this reality, what what it would mean to believe in mission rather than just missions. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is that central to that idea is this idea that disciples go. Three things I want to say to you this morning, and it's going to kind of be a bit of a different morning, because in the middle of my second point, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to have Megan... Ruck come up, and she is going to a foreign land uh, for a year. She's doing something that, quite honestly, I don't know if I would have the faith to do. Uh, She's going to a closed country. We can't even tell you necessarily where she's going. We can't tell you the names of people. She's going to show slides. She has to change their names, right? But she's going to go there for a year. So I want her to share with you how God's called her to do that and what she's going to be doing and to invite us to participate uh, but in a much bigger way than sort of just, yeah, I'll pray for you when I remember you kind of deal, in a big way. So three things I want to say to you this morning. The first is that the discipleship call to go, in other words, going, is not an option. So all those nights I wrestled with God not to send me, God must have been just laughing at me. Like, <laughs> I, don't know what, you know, I don't know what Bible verses you're reading, Adam, but you're going to go. You know, so whether you like it or not, you will be going, you know. Now, we can wrestle about geography and stuff like that. It's a different point we'll talk about in a second. But at the, the central core of the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and listen, you know, there are nominal followers of Jesus, and there are people who want to give their life to Jesus, right? If, you, if you're in the second category, like you're all in for Jesus, then going is not an option. It's just not an option. Listen, famous verses, right? Listen to Acts 1.8, and we'll kind of land here for, for this morning. And this, you guys have heard this, but let me read a little bit of it. On one occasion while he was eating, this is Acts 1, verse 4, uh, when Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, uh, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And classic Jesus, after he said this, he was taken up before them, before their very eyes, right? In other words, there will be no arguments about this. You know, I'm gone. <laughs> he, the classic Jesus mic drop, you know, or whatever, however we want to go with it, you know. He's, he's out. <laughs> but did you catch what he said there? He said, you will be my witnesses. Now, he did not say, will you be my witnesses, right? That would be a little Mr. Rogers, I think, right? Can't you see Jesus singing... Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my witness? Um, there are times in the Old Testament where Jesus asked, right? So Jesus is, or excuse me, God asks. God is, 
is working in the heart of the prophet Isaiah. And he, he appears to him, and, and Isaiah is overcome with his sinfulness, and, and God uh, sends an angel who touches him and, and cleanses of him his sin and has this beautiful gospel. And then God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah, after seeing the majesty of God and experiencing the truth of the gospel, says, here I am, I'll go. Jesus didn't do that. He said, you will be, not will you be. You will be. Going is not an option. It just isn't an option for those of us who believe that we're called to follow Jesus in everything. Moreover, in the Great Commission, right? Remember the end of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, and some of the other synoptics. uh, Jesus says, Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. The participle that we translate in English, go, really means as you are going. In other words, it is implied by Jesus that you will be going. Right? Oh, by the way, as you are going, do this. And so Jesus, in both of his sort of final moments to his disciples that are recorded here, says that going is not an option. You are going. The second point I want to make is that going is not geographically dependent. All right? Now we're going to start to differentiate between old school missions and new school mission. Going is not geographically dependent. So the modern interpretation, the classic interpretation of this passage of Scripture, and it is a good one. I'm not suggesting this is a bad interpretation. I agree with it. I just think it doesn't get at the fullness of it. Is that Jesus says to them, hey, uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we say, well, some are called to Jerusalem, and some are called to Judea, and some are called to Samaria, and the select few are called to the ends of the earth, you know? The crazy ones that are willing to like lay down everything. But I'm not certain that that's exactly what's going on here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now listen, let me pause and make another disclaimer. Absolutely, God calls individual people to different spheres, right? There's not, we're not discrediting that in any way. The Dresslers have been called to Palestine. Megan's been called to Central Asia. Other people have been called to other places. That is the ends of the earth. There are particular calls that go that way. Absolutely, positively true. But this is a communal command. It is not an individual command, correct? Jesus doesn't pull Peter aside and say, oh, by the way, Peter, you're going to go over here. He doesn't pull um, you know, uh, Philip aside and say, you're going to go over here. And he doesn't pull um, Andrew aside or, or any of these people aside and say, you're going to go here, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. He says to them collectively, you will be my witnesses. And interestingly enough, he says to them, his, his, his lone geographic command to them is, stay in Jerusalem. <laughs> Remember? And the rest will sort itself out. And so I don't think the main point of this is that individual people are to go to to different places. Absolutely true, but I don't think it's the main thrust of what's going on. Rather, I think the main thrust of what's going on is that when the Spirit is moving in the local assembly of the people of God, then gospel ministry happens to the ends of the earth. Right? Hey, you hang in Jerusalem, and the Spirit's going to come, and when He does... You, collective, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And oh, by the way, it was accomplished in Acts chapter 2. 
and then all the way through the whole book of Acts when people literally go to those places. Why in Acts chapter 2? Because people from all the nations were gathered in Jerusalem, remember this? For the, for the Feast of Pentecost. And all these people from all these places received the gospel, thousands of them. And so in some ways, the whole command is complete by Acts chapter 2, even though individual people are going to get called to individual places. You might say, well, you're just arguing semantics here. I'm not. I'm trying to show you the communal reality of the command to go. That when someone goes from our community to a foreign place, they're actually taking us with them. Do you see that? And everything that's been built into them in this place is going with them. So when Jeff Miller, uh, who, is, uh, who works with Child Fund, goes to, to Sudan or Kenya or into Central America, he takes our DNA with them. He takes our community with them. He takes all that you've invested into him with them, and he's reaching impoverished children. When Megan goes, she takes this with us. And when the Dresslers go, they take bits and pieces because they haven't been directly connected. You see that what happens here today, this morning, has global implications, is what I want you to know. Right? And so listen, we don't just gather together because, oh, churches meet on Sunday, and we're part of a church, and so we should do it. No, no. We're gathering together because the global reality, which is also local, of the gospel depends upon it. Right? Depends upon it. And so we do it. So listen, the church then is not meant to be uh, a place that, that, that people just simply gather to gather and then every once in a while God calls a missionary and we say they're doing missions. The church is meant to be a missional body that is constantly training and sending. Training and sending. Training and sending. And you need to be sent too, even if you never go to a foreign place. So how do we sort all of this out, right? Because I say everyone's going, but here's what we need to clarify. Some go by going, literally, geographically. They go by going. We've seen some of those things. But many of you will go by staying. But you cannot simply see your part in mission simply as, well, I pray for that person. No, it's your investment in their life and the gospel investment of this church in their life that is being transplanted and multiplied to a foreign land and their investment in your life that's being transferred and multiplied to this local land. You see it? Some go by going, some many go by staying. Uh, and usually those who go by going get a special call from God. You know, Because it doesn't just so happen like, you know what, I'd like to go to Central Asia. That sounds like a great idea. You pretty much have to have, you know, you know a noogie from God or something that says, you know, here, I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to like it. You know, let's, let's deal with it. Uh, but one of the beautiful realities of our church is that we have seen people go by going from our community of faith. Uh, and so church, I, I wanted to, as a practical example, um, in the midst of this, trying to teach this, have Megan come and share. But I also wanted to give her the most attentive moment of the morning for you to listen to her. Like not just in the midst of an announcement where you're still grabbing coffee and eating donuts and doing all the other things that I would do too. But I want you to hear her heart. And I want you to know that what she's talking about, what she's going to do, that you're going to be doing it with her. Right? And so Megan, would you come on up? So some go by going. 
but many of us will go by staying. Right? There's a famous uh, missionary who went from the UK, from Britain, to India for many, many years. His name was Leslie Newbegin, and uh, had powerful uh, missionary realities in India uh, for Christ. And he came home to uh, Britain, and when he came home, he was stunned by the society that he had left and how much it had changed. Uh, many of the churches that populated the communities uh, were no longer churches. Buildings were there, but they were being used for other things. And in many ways, the, the Britain, as is true in most of Europe and is true in the United States today, had become a post-Christendom reality, a post-gospel reality. We're beyond that. And what he said, he began to write books, and, and I would recommend any of them to you. Uh, any of his books would be fantastic for you. He is really the man from whom the thought and the idea of being missional came from. He realized that the work of God needed to be done back home just as much as it needed to be done over in India. So he began to call the church to realize that we are all called to mission. It's not just to tribal people far away or the old slideshows that we used to watch and be excited about. It's your neighbor. It's your coworker. It's your office place. That we begin to have a heart that realizes that God has sent each of us to where we are. And that it matters that we believe that we've been sent. And that it matters that we begin to redeem every single opportunity that we have to speak and live the truth of the gospel to where we are. It's what it means to be missional. To believe that God's work on your street is just as critical as God's work in Central Asia. To believe that God's work in your place of business is just as critical as God's work in Palestine. Because we are a global reaching community. When we meet together, we want to have impact from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. This is a together reality. So, how do you know, how do you begin to discern where am I called? Where do I go? How do I go? There are three sort of inherent things in this reality in Acts that, that, that help us understand. The first is prayer. Right? You read Acts 1 and we hit this big Acts 1-8. You're going to be my witnesses. And then the rest of the, the chapter is basically the disciples praying like crazy. You know? You've got to pray like crazy. The second thing that we're promised in Acts 1-8 is that you will be empowered by the Spirit. This is the Spirit's job. This isn't something that you sort of got to create a big program for. You know? You just got to cooperate with what the Spirit's doing. And trust that the Spirit's placing you where He wants you to be the ambassador for the gospel that God's called you to be. And then lastly, we got to believe in the providence of God. Right? That He's actually put us just where He wants us. That you were able to purchase your house not because you made a great offer, because God wanted you there. That you were able to get your job not because you were the best qualified person, but because God wanted you there. That you were able to have children not because you're going to be a fantastic mom or dad, which you probably will be, but that God wanted you to invest in them. That you were called to your circle of friends not just because you share the same interest and they're interesting people who care for you, but because God has put you there. 
This is what it means to be missional, to be sent, to believe that. In Acts chapter 8, the church is still holed up in Jerusalem. They haven't gone anywhere. No sending whatsoever. And in Acts 7, um, Stephen is killed. Remember? And Saul is the human coat rack holding all the coats. And it says, Saul approved of this. And then immediately says, Saul unleashed a vicious persecution on the church, causing them to scatter. This is God's providence that he will even use the, the, the maleficent works of a persecutor to accomplish the plan of God. Right? We get the impression that mm, Phil doesn't end up in Samaria. Or people don't end up other places unless this happens. That God's providence plays a role. And so what you should believe then is that God has you right where you are on purpose. Not so you can have a great nest egg someday. You should plan for your retirement. Not so that you can work your way up the corporate ladder. You should be a good employee and want to succeed. Not so you can have all the things of this world, but so that you can have a massive gospel impact here. It's what it means to go by staying. That every single movement, every single thought, every single behavior, every single decision is born out of the fact that in God's providence He has placed me here. By His Spirit He has empowered me for this. Through prayer I believe this and so I will live in this moment, in this decision, as if the Gospel depends upon it for these people. So in many ways, no, in every way, those who go by staying are called to lay down everything just as much as those who lay down everything to go to foreign lands. Because if this world is about the American dream for you, you won't go by staying. You'll just go to church. And that's not good enough. If this world is about having a picture-perfect family and having all the things you need and enrolling your kids in every known camp and activity imaginable so that they can look back on their childhood and say that you did a good job, that's not going by... Staying, that's trying to earn a reputation. Going by staying says, okay, am I going to enroll my kid in this? Maybe. But part of the reality that makes me choose to do it is that I have a chance to be an ambassador for the gospel in this reality. Right? The kid wants to play baseball. That's fantastic. You should let him play baseball. And you should be invested in it. And it should be a chance for the gospel to spread but your kid can't play 17 million sports, so you're so burnt out that you can't enjoy your, your own life and you can't invest in the reality. See what I'm saying? That every single thing you do is invested in the reality that you are sent where you are for the cause of Christ. There's less than 2% evangelicals where Megan is going. When we moved here in 2010, there was less than evangelicals where we live. This is not the world you grew up in. You are sent. It matters. The future of the church, the future of God's work, is not here this morning. And so if we live everything into this reality, then we've missed everything that God wants to do. God's future is way outside these walls, 
And his means of achieving his future is you. It's not me. It's me too as collective us, but you don't pay me to go do that. That's the same as the old school missions thing. We're all in this together. This is what it means to go by staying. So let's finish up with this. There are so many ways to be distracted from going, right? So many ways to be distracted by, from going. I just want to talk about three of them real quick, and then we'll finish. And they come out of this idea of what the disciples were simply distracted by. Remember what they're distracted by in the text we read earlier? They want to know when the kingdom is coming in its fullness. And Jesus basically says, enough, stop. You've got a task to do. We believe that they've already heard the Great Commission in some ways, right? So they, they're going to this reality. So you've got a task to do. You're going to be my witnesses. Get ready for it. Stop worrying about these things. What could have been going through the disciples' minds? Let me try to draw three sort of practical realities from this request to know when the kingdom is coming. The first is that they, like us, are infatuated with the specifics of God's plans. And we're not supposed to be. We would like to have everything lined up and set, the I's dotted and the T's crossed, and exactly everything that's expected of us known before we sign on the dotted line, right? And Jesus says to them, I don't know when the kingdom's coming. You better just get to work, you know? God's appointed a time. He's going to take care of it. You've got to work the job to do. Now get after it. The same is true for us, right? Well, I want to know how that person's going to respond when I tell them about the gospel. I think they may not like it, so I'm not going to tell them. I want to know what kind of impact it's going to have on my relationships with the neighborhood if they know that I'm invested in following Jesus. I want to make sure they still like me. I want to know what kind of impact it's going to have on my coworkers if they know I'm being honest and not seeing sordid gain in employment, right? We want to know. We want to know exactly what God's signing up for. If I sign up for this missional living, does that mean I'm not going to be you know, I'm not going to be set for retirement. Does that mean uh, I'm going to be giving away more of my stuff? Does that mean that God's going to ask me to love people that I don't want to even know? You know? That's what we do, right? We sit around and wrestle about this. Well, tell me all the specifics, God. When's the kingdom coming? When is it coming? What do I have to do? How hard is it going to be? What's the time period here? How much am I really going to have to invest in this? Jesus says, I could basically, this is what I would say if I was Jesus hey, I came to earth not knowing when the kingdom was coming. And you want me to tell you now when it's coming? Like, I left heaven to come to earth and live with you miserable people, you know? And deal with all of your nonsense. And, 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 and I died on the cross when you all ran away from me, not knowing when the fullness of the kingdom was coming. And you're asking me, well, are you going to follow Jesus? Or is it going to be about being infatuated with the specifics? A little subset of this is being doctrinally infatuated too. Right? Many of us, myself included, we like to study and learn all the very specifics about things. But sometimes we get so caught up in learning about God that we forget to be on mission for God. And it's really easy to be pulled into that subtle trap of the devil, I think. You should learn about God like crazy. I'm not calling you to just say, well, I'm giving up on that. 
But I'm saying everything you learn about God should send you even further into the mission He's called you to. Otherwise, you should say, you know what? This isn't a good use of my time. We're called to go. We've got to go. We have to. The second thing that I think hinders us sometimes from going uh, that's critical to think about is that um, we've misunderstood the role of the church. We've misunderstood the role of the church. Think about this. What are the disciples asking when they say, is now the time for the kingdom to come? They are Old Testament people thinking in an Old Testament way. What was the kingdom like in the Old Testament? Right? Big temple. God comes and dwells in the temple. The people follow. They live in the presence of God. And they're meant to be sort of like this spectacle to the nations. That people will come, right? It's meant to be this sort of attractional reality. You know, if you build it, they will come. And everyone will come and realize it. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh. The kingdom's meant to go. Not to be built as an attraction. The church, friends, is not a holy shrine that people are going to wander into out of awe anymore. It must go. It cannot have walls. The church serves the kingdom of God, not vice versa. The church is not the end of what God wants to do. The church is the agency through which God is accomplishing the end of what He wants to do. The church is the gatherer of the people to the gospel. Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom. That's the plan of God. This isn't the plan of God. And so if we sit here and think, we've got to make this better and build this well and dot all the I's and cross all the T's and build great programs and do all of these things, and meanwhile we're reaching no one, then we've missed the whole point of the role of the church. We've missed it. Church is not a holy shrine. It's a place where people are trained and sent. 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 That's what we're called to be. If you're coming here on Sunday and being trained, then we try to, I try to in the benediction, send you every single Sunday in the power of the Spirit. Because that's what it means, that you're going, right? You're going into your Central Asia, right? You get like two hours here, and some of them are boring, and some of them are engaging, and some of them are really hot in the summer and really cold in the winter. But it's meant to to spur you more into the mission that God has called you to do so you can be sent into it. Can't misunderstand the role of the church. Quite frankly, that's why even though we are just a few months away from accreditation as a church, which is a major milestone for us, we're so excited about it. We're also engaging right away into a greenhouse partnership to in a couple of years be able to plant a new church because we cannot sit on our laurels and, and, and approve and pat ourselves on the back for getting to where we've gotten. Jesus has built his church, first of all. We really didn't have anything to do with it. You know? But second of all, he's built his church so it can be trained and sent. Trained and sent. Trained and sent. He is not pleased with 6% of the Lehigh Valley. Just like he wouldn't be pleased with 98% of the Lehigh Valley. Trained and sent. This is what we're called to do. We're not called to build up the church proper, right? That is, to, to focus all of our energy now on putting everything together here. We're called to focus all of our energy on equipping and empowering people and sending them to where God has placed them. And then the third, and, and quite frankly, maybe the most important one to talk about as we finish, the third barrier to mission is pride. It always is. It's pride. 
What is in the disciples' mind when they're asking about the kingdom being started, do you think? Right? First of all, they want to know about specifics. Of course, they want to know the plan. Second of all, they want to know, like, can we build this attractional thing so everyone can come? The Old Testament was a centripetal force, right? The temple was the centripetal force of the psalmist. The worship of the, nation, the worship of the people would spark the worship of the nations. But the New Testament mission of God is centrifugal, right? That goes out from the center, out from the center, out from the center. So if you need sort of an a, a illustration to remember you, the, the other great thing that is a centripetal force is the toilet when you flush it. So it's out with the old, in with the new. That's corny. Maybe you'll remember it because of that. Every time you flush the toilet, you remember, I'm sent. I'm sent. <laughs> there you go. They don't teach that in homiletics class. But maybe the biggest thing that's in their mind when they say, when is the kingdom coming, is that they remember that Jesus has said something to them. Do you remember what he said to them? When I sit on my throne, you will sit on the twelve thrones beside me. Remember that? You'll rule over the people of God. So when the kingdom of God comes, then they're no longer this ragtag gang following around a rogue Nazarene teacher who was crucified and they claim is risen. But now they're ruling in power over the whole people. And that's why I think it's so important to notice that Jesus says you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. But the power that Jesus is talking about is actually spirit empowerment, not physical authority to rule. He's actually calling them to lay down their lives to proclaim the good news of the gospel rather than to sit on thrones of authority. Now friends, what is so wrong with the church in our world today? It is inward focused, right? It is, it is massively engaged with the specifics of things. We've divided a million different times over specific doctrines. And we all want to know exactly what the plan is, what the vision is, what the vision is. Jesus gave us the vision, you know, we can keep making it as cute as we want to, but we got the vision, you know. But what is specifically is it, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do. Well, I told you, well, I don't want to do that. Tell me what you want me to do, you know. And then at the end of the day, it's also about pride. It's about wanting to be the important one. Wanting to be up front, wanting to rule. And if you're not an upfront person, wanting to be a person of influence within the church, a person of holiness, of righteousness, someone who's looked at as important. You know? And that is the great lie of religion. That this whole thing was really about you, this Christian life. Not about you. Your Christian life is about everyone out there who has not come here yet. And they will never come here because we create a great advertising program. They will never come here because our church looks cool. They will never come here because we have great programs. Every once in a while, because they want a day off from their kids, they might drop their kids off at a great program, but that's not gospel. The only way they're encountering the gospel is if you go. It's the only way they're encountering the gospel is if you go. And just like the disciples, the number one thing that will keep us from going is our pride. What? I don't want to do that. I don't have to do that. That's not comfortable for me. I don't like that. I'm a leader in the church. I've got stuff to do here. You know, Pastors. I'm going to talk to myself for just a minute. I've got a whole flock to care for here. No, I'm, I'm sent. 
right? Yeah, I got to care for this flock, but I, I better be sent too, you know? I got to spend 60 hours preparing for my sermon. Well, that's the complete misuse of my time. That's not what God's called us to do. So let me just finish with this. No pressure, church. The future of this church is completely dependent on you and whether or not you will go. The future of the church in the United States is completely dependent on you and whether or not you will go. Most people will choose into the nominal reality of following Jesus that says, missions is for someone else. But some of you will say, no, I have given myself to Jesus because he has given everything for me. And the gospel has liberated me in a way I could have never imagined. And so I will go. And some of you will go to foreign lands. And some of you will go across the street to a place that is very different than you, a Samaria of sorts. And some of you will go geographically, local but to a new place, a Judea of sorts. But the, the large majority of us will go by staying. And so then every single morning and every single moment of every single day, you have a choice. Will you live into your sentness or will you keep building your own kingdom? God's future is outside this church. It's outside every church that's meeting this morning. And as nice as the songs we sing are, and as good as some of the messages we hear are, and as refreshing as the community we experience is, that's all meant to be a springboard to be sent. Can I pray with you?